To all of you joining us online, happy Palm Sunday. I'm so glad that you're able to join us today. I know some of you are not able to join us regularly because of health issues and others of you join us from a great distance, but we're so glad to have you as part of our Bethel Church family. And for all of you joining us in person, so great to have you with you. I loved hearing you sing this morning. I just woke up and the sunshine was out and, uh, and hearing you sing just makes my day. Uh, it's incredible. And all the kids, great to have you worshiping with us. Well, I thought kids the kids were here, uh, we could play a little game today, and, uh, and, um, and they can help us because we might need some help with this game. Uh, how many of you guys know what an emoji is? Anyone know what an emoji is? Of course, all the kids know emojis, right? Growing up, there was no such thing as emojis when we were growing up, and then all of a sudden, emoticons appeared on the scene. Does anyone know the difference between an emoticon and an emoji? If you don't, I can tell you later, but, but we're going to play a little game, and this is called Speak Emoji to Me, okay? And so I'm going to show you some pictures with some emojis, and uh, it's going to be a well-known phrase, and so you kids, you have to help us older folks figure out what this is trying to say, okay? So here's the first one. Call it out. Help, it, help your parents. Call it out if you know what it's saying. As raining cats and dogs. Okay, very good, very good, okay. Here we go, here's the next one. Time flies when you're having fun. How many know this morning is flying by, right? Okay, here we go, third one, number three. Don't cry over spilt milk. You guys are good at this. Thanks, kids. Okay, here's, here's, uh, here's one. No pain, no gain. Very good. All right, I love it. And, uh, and last one, this isn't a saying, this is just an emoji that I wanted to show you today. How many know what this emoji means? Right? This is the face palm or the shaking my head emoji, right? How many know on Palm Sunday we're going to talk about the face palm emoji today? Face palm or shaking my head. How many know that there are moments that you just can't believe what has just happened? How many have ever had a moment and you're looking and you're watching it unfold in front of you and you can't believe that it's happening? You know, you just can't, you're in disbelief. Maybe you're in frustration and instantly your hand goes to your head and you just shake your head like a shake in my head, Right? Uh, you can tell we're kind of doing a little bit of set design stuff up here this week, and, and uh, someone had left some paint uh, on the stage with the lid off of it. And how many know that I took the tape measure and I kind of bowling, I rolled it over to where all the other tools were? And how many know I got a strike? I hit that paint bottle with no, and there's a little spot right here, right, with white paint on the black carpet. And how many know my instant reaction? Like, no, oh, right, right, shaking my head. People are amazing, right? With a face palm, goes with shaking my head. There's never a shortage of things to be amazed at with people in our world today, right? Some things are so amazing that you can't believe the creativity and you can't believe like you're in, in wonder at the creativity of people. And at the same time, you are in amazement and disbelief at how dumb some people can be, right? How many know this is true? I know that some of you watch reels and TikToks all day long of people doing amazingly dumb things. I know it because you send them to me, and, and I love it. 
I love it that you keep sending them. That's great. I love to be amazed at humanity and uh, their creativity and disbelief. How many know that there's other moments where it's not just watching other people, but it's our own actions, right? And we're just like shaking our heads. I can't believe that I did that. Here's some things that I've, I've known people to do. You put salt instead of sugar in the baking recipe. Anyone ever made that mistake before? I've known that mistake to happen. How many le- left your coffee on the roof of your car and as you pulled out of your driveway? Yeah. You're just like, oh, right? And it's not just the mess. It's like, it's the coffee of all things. The coffee, right? Has anyone ever worn two different shoes to work before or to school? It's rare, but I've heard of it happening. Like kids, you've ever done something dumb where you're just like, you know, maybe you're drawing with Sharpie on your parents' couch. You know, that's happened at our house before. Things get broken, right? And you're just like, I can't believe, right? I can't believe what just happened. Shaking your head in disbelief. Sometimes it's not just what you did. Sometimes it's what you said, Have you ever had a shaking your head moment at something that you said? Or maybe it wasn't what you said, but when you said it, right? And you're just shaking your head in disbelief. Kids, have you ever asked your parents for something and they told you this response? They said, now is not a good time, right? Now is not a good time. We're We're in the middle of something else and you're like, hey, mom, hey, dad. They're like, right now is not a good time. We've all had moments where we weren't thinking about what we were doing or saying. We ended up doing or saying something dumb or inappropriate. And and we didn't mean to do it. It wasn't on purpose. But sometimes we just didn't understand the context of the situation, right? We didn't really understand what was going on around us. You know, sometimes we we don't understand the outcome of our actions. We're like, I wasn't putting a one plus two together that if I did this, you know, that was a possibility. And so, you know, sometimes we don't know the outcome of our actions, Sometimes it's the implications, right? Have you ever been like someone's telling you something and you're not really understanding what it is that they're saying to you, right? One time, Pastor Holly, she was uh, rummaging. I think I told you the story maybe. She was rummaging in my closet around Christmas time and she came across a gift that I had gotten for her and uh, she called me. She was telling me like, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry that I found the gift that you were going to give me for Christmas, the digital picture frame back when they were brand new, a digital picture frame. I'm really sorry. And I thought she was apologizing because she had found it. But as as she got talking more and more, she said, no, 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 you're not understanding. I'm apologizing because I don't want it. (laughs) I was like, oh, I was misunderstanding the implications of what I was being told, right? <laughs> We've all had these moments, right, where we just smack our heads, shake our heads, face palming. On Palm Sunday, I thought we could look at some of the texts surrounding the celebration of the Palm Sunday. It's a, the celebration of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And you're going to see in Scripture a whole bunch of shaking my head kind of moments, all right? So we're going to look at that moment, the moment leading up to it. But before we get to the New Testament, let's set the scene. So we have Jesus, and he's walking, or he's riding a donkey into Jerusalem, and, and he's on this journey from Jericho to Jerusalem, and, and all the people are celebrating him and cheering him on because they're really familiar with this passage of Scripture from Zechariah 9.9. This is an ancient bit of prophecy, And it says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, 
Your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's Colt. And so the crowds, they knew the prophecy of Zechariah. And, and because they knew of the miracles that Jesus had done, and they knew that Jesus had claimed to be the Son of God, and that they knew that Jesus had been talking about ushering in the kingdom of God. And so now they saw Jesus riding on this donkey, and they're like, this is it. This is that long foretold prophecy coming true. And so they are lining the streets and they're, they're cheering like crazy. They're shouting and praising God. And, and they saw Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And to them, it meant that he was going to come and overthrow their oppressors. He was going to overthrow the Roman Empire and set them free. And so they're waving palm branches. And, uh, and they're on this road. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. But we could have easily called it. Sunday, Coat Sunday too. How many know that Coat Sunday doesn't sound as cool as Palm Sunday, right? Coat Sunday. It could have just been easily Coat Sunday. Mark 11, verse 8 says, many people spread their coats on the ground, while some others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And so coats and palms, they're just grabbing whatever they can and they're laying them down on the road in front of Jesus in celebration and honor. And why are they doing that? Well, they're covering the dust and the mud of the road because they would do that as a sign of honor and reverence and respect to someone of high esteem. And so they're basically honoring Jesus as they would honor a king. They're laying their coats and their palm branches praising him. And it tells us here in the text why they're doing it. It says clearly they're connecting Jesus' coming with the coming, uh, uh, with uh, King David's kingdom. And so they were saying Jesus is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of the, the prophecy that King David's reign and rule is going to be reestablished. And so the anointed one, that's what Messiah means. Uh, that's what Christ means in Greek. So a Messiah is Hebrew and uh, Christ is Greek. It means the anointed one. Someone asked me this week, uh, is, is Christ, is that Jesus' last name? <laughs> it's not. We call Jesus Christ, Jesus the anointed one, and, uh, and that's what it means. And so he was going to lead Israel in victory and in independence as the king of the descendant of King David. He was coming to establish his kingdom. And so they're cheering and they're saying, Hosanna, which means God saves. God saves. And so, you know, if you're trying to get a picture of the hype, uh, of the energy of this crowd, just picture if the Vancouver Canucks ever won the Stanley Cup, Right? <laughs> Just imagine that, right? Imagine that. We, we saw what happened when they didn't win. Imagine what would happen if they did win. The crowds would be going crazy. It's even bigger than that, the victory parade for Jesus. And so they're celebrating Jesus, and they're waving their palms, and they're lining their roads with their coats and their branches as a symbol of Jesus' kingship, his rulership, and his lordship. It's all amazing and great. You know, it's always appropriate to worship Jesus and to celebrate Jesus as the Lord and the Messiah. But here's the thing. They understood who Jesus was, but they didn't understand the implication on their lives. They knew who Jesus was, but they didn't understand how it related to them. See, they rightly believed that Jesus was coming to lift people up, but they didn't understand that first he would have to lay himself down. 
They knew he was coming to lift people up, but he didn't understand that first he would have to lay himself down. And they definitely didn't understand that to follow him would mean that they would have to do the same. Right? To follow Jesus, they would have to do the same. Following Jesus is not just about believing who Jesus is, but it's about following what Jesus does. How many know that's the, that's the, the arc of maturity? Not just believing who Jesus is, but following what Jesus does. How many know that's a, a life in progress kind of journey? That's like each and every day. However long you've been following Jesus, you can still work on following what Jesus does better and better each and every day. And so here's the clue that the crowds aren't on the same page. While they're celebrating and while they're cheering Jesus on, they're shouting, Hosanna, Scripture tells us that Jesus is weeping. While the crowds are cheering, Jesus is weeping. He's weeping because they missed the whole point. Look with me in Luke chapter 19. We got lots of uh, scripture today. Luke 19 says, as they came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace, but now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. Just imagine this for a moment. The people are thinking, how great is this, right? And we're at the victory parade. How good is this? And, and look, Jesus is crying. You know, he's got happy tears. He must be so excited about this celebration we're having in honor of him. And yet it says that Jesus was uh, overwhelmed. He wasn't overwhelmed by the, the outpouring of love. But instead, he was, he was shaking his head. He was shaking his head thinking, no matter how many times I've told you, how many times I've tried to make it clear to you, you still don't get it. See, they're celebrating now. Uh, they're celebrating me as your king, the leader who will give you what you want. But I've been trying to tell you that following me is about first what you will give up. Right? You want to follow Jesus for what he will give you, and following him starts with what you give up. It's about laying down your life for the sake of others. Jesus couldn't have been any clearer about that, right? He spelled it out to everyone who was listening just a few days before. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. And we're going to quickly, we're going to do like a, a summary version, Mark 8 to 11. So we're going to cover lots of ground today. But Mark 8, we'll start there. Uh, Mark 8 verse 31. So Jesus began to tell them, that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. And as he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Right? We know this story, right? Peter's like, Jesus, stop the crazy talk. Right? This isn't going to happen to you. Right, but Jesus, in verse 33, he turned around and looked at his disciples and he reprimanded Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then calling the crowd to join the disciples. So he's saying, hey, everyone who's around, gather around. Let's know what I'm gonna tell you. He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must first 
Give up your own way. Everyone say give up. You must first give up your own way, and then you got to take up your cross. Everyone say take up. Say give up. Say take up. And follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you'll save it. If anyone wants to be my follower, got to give up and take up and follow me. Throughout this series, we've been looking at these two words that Jesus uh, uttered a few different times. These words, follow me. And he often uttered them as an invitation. An invitation. He's offering us that invitation today. But how many know that every invitation of Jesus, we've been saying, comes with a confrontation. The confrontation is within us. Will I uh, take Jesus up on his offer? Will I follow him? But here's the thing about saying yes to following Jesus. We, we said this last week. You never know where the road will lead. You, you don't know where the journey is going to take you. Uh, you might not even know what the cost will be. Have you ever been like on an adventure and a, an experience where you're like a little fuzzy on the details, right? Have you ever been like you know a little unclear about what to expect, right? Maybe you thought like if I'd have known it was going to be like this, I would have dressed differently. Anyone ever been to an outdoor wedding, ladies, and you're like, you know, in the grass in your high heels, you're like, I would have worn different shoes if I'd have known it was going to be like this, right? If you're like me, you know I like my white shoes, right? Sometimes I'm like, if I'd have known it was going to be like this, I would have worn not my white shoes, right? I remember one time when I was interning in, as a youth pastor and our uh, youth group, we would go on a three-day camping trip and we would get in canoes and we would portage uh, for three days. And so uh, Algonquin Park's one of the bigger parks in Ontario, just like the wilderness, right? Just like so many places in BC. And we would go three days into the woods and we wouldn't shower and we wouldn't have any facilities. It would just be us roughing it in the wild. It was awesome. But I remember this one time we had a, a girl on our trip and she came and, uh, and she was unpacking her bag, and we were in the middle of the forest, and she pulled out her curling iron and her blow dryer. <laughs> and we said, I don't know what you were expecting or how you think this works, <laughs> right? You're a little fuzzy on the details. That's not going to work on this trip. See, Jesus is doing all he can to remove the uncertainty, He's doing all he can to provide clarity to the crowds and his disciples about what it means to follow me, you know? But they're not picking up what Jesus is laying down, right? They're not picking up what Jesus is laying down. Uh, you know, and this leads to what has to be one of the biggest shaking my head moments in all of Scripture. One of the biggest shaking my head moments of all of Scripture, look at Mark 10, 32, Taking the 12 disciples. So Jesus, he's told them what's going to happen. This is a couple days later. He says, taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus once more. Everyone say once more. Like he's trying. He's like, I'm working with you guys. Work with me here. Once more, he began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, whip him, kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. So he's 
Jesus, he's like bearing his soul to his closest friends. He's saying, hey guys, this is what's like, like this is what I'm facing right now. He's like, this is what lies in store for me. Like I've told you this, but I'm just telling you again, that this is the agony that I'm about to experience. And these are the guys he's journeyed with. These are the ones he's, he's taught, he's invested in, he's poured his life into, and he's just bared his soul. Imagine, right? Imagine you're about to die in this fashion. And then look at verse 35. Then James and John, two of his closest friends, the sons of Zebedee, they came over and spoke to him. And he said, teacher, we want you to do us a favor. Guys, I'm about to die the most brutal and gruesome. Jesus, could you do us a favor? And he was kind of like, okay, what, right? <laughs> and, and listen to this like, shaking my head moment. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you. One on your right and one on your left. Can you just picture Jesus right now? He's just like, oh my goodness, right? Like, this is not the right time, guys, right? Like, just think about what you're asking right now, right? Like, these guys, it's like, read the room, right? It's like poor timing. They're oblivious to the implications. They're just kind of like, oh yeah, he's going to rise again. It'll be all good, you know? Like, woohoo, Jesus, you know? Here's the thing, selfish ambition makes us blind and insensitive to the heart of Jesus. That's true for you and true for me today. Selfish ambition, when we think about it's what we get from Jesus, it makes us blind to the heart and to the mission of Jesus. It's about what can I get from Jesus? What can I gain from Jesus? And they're thinking, you know what? Yeah, he's going to die, but God's going to raise him again. He told us that. And when he's raised again, he will have all authority and power. And when you're in that position, Jesus, could you give us a position of prominence? Like, that's your right hand and left hand. That would be pretty good. You know, just like, they just let us be seen beside you. We want to be seen, Jesus. We, we want to be seen as the guys that were close to Jesus, right? Imagine this. Well, verse 41, we're told that all the other disciples hear about what Jesus, or what James and John have asked for. And they come over. You think they're going to come over and defend Jesus? Like, guys, not the right time, right? You think they're going to reprimand him? No. They come over and they're like, no fair. I wish we'd asked first, right? They're like this, like, what? How are you guys? Have you ever had, like, kids? Who's had more than one kid in your house, right? Every time. You go to get in the car, right? It's a fight. Who gets to ride in the front seat, right? Right? I called it. No fair. You rode it in the last time, right? Like, I call, well, you were in the house when you called. You got to be, out, everyone knows you have to be outside the house to call it, right? And if you have, if you have more than two kids, this is what happened. We have three kids. They, the two kids will start fighting with each other. And then like the third one kind of like slips in, like unseen, right? That's <laughs> what happens. So the disciples, instead of being upset about how inappropriate uh, the request was. They were upset that they didn't think about it first. And so Jesus is smacking his head, shaking his head. He's going, guys, you just don't get it. I think he's like, enough. No one gets the front seat. All of you guys in the back, right? That's probably the answer, I think. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, I told you things are going to be different. He follows up with them, verse 43. Among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, to give his life as a ransom 
for many. See, following Jesus isn't about personal gain. It's about kingdom growth. Following Jesus isn't about personal gain. It's not about what Jesus gives me and brings to my life. It's about the expansion and the growth of Jesus' kingdom in the world around us. When we surrender to Jesus and follow him, we're not saying, God, I'm following you for all the blessings you give my life. God does do that. Those are amazing byproducts. But when we're signing up, we're not signing up to some club where we're just like get reward points. And we're just like, God, I, I'm signed up so I get the benefits of being a, a member, right? I get the bonus point. No, we're saying, Jesus, when I sign up, it's dying to my life through the, the propagation of your kingdom. It's about the expansion of your will and your ways in the world around me. I get added benefits from being part of a, fo- a follower of Jesus, but the point and the purpose isn't my personal gain, but it's about the growth of God's kingdom. And when you meet people who've experienced this truth, it's, their lives are so different, aren't they? Their focus, their outlook is so radically different. See, it's not about self-promotion, but it's about selfless ambition. It's not about self-promotion. See, like having ambition to you know, promote ourselves like, that's not going to happen in the kingdom of God. But it's not about not having ambition. It was having ambition to expand God's plans and purposes in my life and in the people around me. So Jesus, he's entering Jerusalem. The crowds are cheering. They're waving their palm branches. They're lining the street with their coats. And there's one particular man that I think is probably cheering a little louder. And he's probably, uh, he's probably leading uh, this party. See, this man was used to being ignored. But he couldn't be ignored on this day. See, this man uh, was probably praising louder and jumping higher than everyone else. Not because he was the biggest Jesus fan, although he was a big Jesus fan. But I think he was actually the first one a few miles ago to throw his coat down in front of Jesus. He was the first one to start claiming and, and, and yelling out that Jesus was the Messiah. See, we find this man's story wedged between John and James's uh, inappropriate request and Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. Mark 10, 46 tells us the story of blind Bartimaeus. It says, when they reached Jericho, it's about 18 miles from Jerusalem, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him, and a blind beggar named Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. See, the crowd around Bart was trying to shut him up because he was kind of ruining their experience, right? He was kind of making it a little bit awkward and uncomfortable. It was like a little disruption. Have you ever been somewhere, you know, someone in the crowd was acting a little, you know, different than the rest of the crowd, and everyone's kind of looking, you know, what's with this guy, you know? They're kind of like, you're kind of ruining the vibe here, Bart, you know? We're trying to focus on Jesus, and you keep yelling out, calling out to him, and they're kind of, you know, We get to be part of this parade because we can see Jesus, right? We can follow Jesus, but but you don't get to be a part of this because because you you obviously can't see what's happening. Now, if they were being honest, they probably were a little prejudiced towards Bartimaeus. Yeah, yeah, he's blind. Yeah, they want to, uh, you know, honor him and help him. But but here's a, a common belief 
uh, of the day was that the sick and the blind were cursed because of their sin. We actually see this in John chapter 9 where Jesus healed another blind man and he addresses this issue. He tells the people, this man is not blind because of sin. And so there's this presumptive uh, thought at this time that, that some of these disabilities were caused by sin. And they're kind of like, you know what, Bart, you just stay in the background. Just, just sit down, keep quiet, and stop ruining the vibe of this party. And here's another smack my head moment, right? Shaking my head. You know, the crowd is doing, you know, what Christians, I think, are sometimes guilty of, right? We think because we see Christ more clearly, that that gives us some sort of superiority or makes us better than others, right? We can have a tendency to say, because I see Christ clearly, that somehow uh, puts me in a place of honor. It makes me better than, you know, it's kind of like James and John. We want the position of prominence and power because we are next to Jesus. We, we think we deserve priority over others because we see Jesus more clearly than they do. How many know that we're not followers of Jesus because of how good we are, right? We're not followers of Jesus. We're not saved because of how smart we are. We're not special because we're more spiritually aware than some other people. We are just blessed and honored that God has revealed himself to us, that we've been able to receive the vision of who he is for our life. That doesn't give us an edge over anyone else, right? But the crowd, they were trying to push Jesus to the background, but notice what, uh, I think that's what self-righteousness is, right? When we put ourselves on a tier or a hierarchy, we wouldn't admit to it, right? But sometimes we feel that we have moral superiority over other people based on how we view Jesus and how close to Jesus we walk, right? But it's not the case. We've just been blessed to have that revelation. See, notice what Bartimaeus is calling out to Jesus for. Right, where the disciples were saying, hey, Jesus, can we have prominence and power? Can we have a position? Bartimaeus is saying, Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. I don't deserve anything from you, but have mercy on me. Would you come, not just give me a position, would you come and transform my person? Would you make me whole? That's all that I'm asking for you in this moment. You know how to grow in extending the love and mercy to others? The crowd, they were kind of pushing Bartimaeus to the background. You know how we can grow in extending love and mercy? It's being continually aware of how much we're in need of God's love and mercy. Right? I don't know if you've ever met someone who is very different from you, very different lifestyle, different background, just different outlook on life. And you know the biggest way to relate to someone who's different than you is to realize that you are both in the need of love and mercy of Jesus. That's the common ground that we approach people on. That's the common, you know, when we're looking for commonality, we are all in that position of needing the love and the mercy of Jesus. I've met some people who are very different, very opposed to the way I live my life, very opposed in their views to the views that I hold, and yet we are able to sit down and to love each other because, we, because I recognize we are both in need of the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. See, the crowd decided that Jesus didn't have time for the blind man, which is very ironic because the Old Testament law was very clear on how to treat the blind. In Leviticus, we see statements like, don't put a stumbling block in front of a blind person or don't mislead a blind person down the road. It's basically saying to them, you know, they honor and, and safeguard the people of your community who are in need of your assistance. And, but here we see the crowd doing 
spiritually what they would never have done physically. Right? They would never have dreamed about, you know, putting an opposition, a roadblock or a stumbling block in front of a blind person physically. But here they are spiritually doing that exact thing, telling the man to shut up and sit down. It's ironic, isn't it? The crowd of people who are celebrating Jesus, who are worshiping Jesus, who want to be close to Jesus, are keeping someone else who needs Jesus away. Right? How many know as a church we never want to be in that position? Right, that's a, sma- a shaking my head moment. The people who want to get closest to Jesus are keeping other people who need Jesus away. We don't want to be doing that as a church. We want to be saying, come, come, let's all go and worship Jesus together. But I love that blind Bart. He wasn't going to let anything or anyone keep him from Jesus. Right, he knew what he needed. It says that he, they wouldn't shut him down. He only shouted louder. He was shouting louder, even though the crowd was letting their worship get in the way of his needs, right? Even though the crowd uh, thought uh, they were better than him, they were telling him to, 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 they were trying to shut him down, but he knew the only place his hope was, could be found was in Jesus, and he shouted all the louder. So when Jesus heard him, he stopped, and he said, come here, and here's the proof that crowds are fickle and hypocritical. Jesus said, Bartimaeus, come here. And all the crowds are like, hey, cheer up, man. He wants to see you, right? Like, hey, all right. Woo, you win, right? And they're like, so fickle, right? Right? Sometimes the people who want to hold you back and keep you uh, down are the people who want to ride your coattails when you're being blessed. Isn't that true? Sometimes, right? They want to see you they, as long as you're in that place. But when you, Jesus starts to lead you out. They want to ride your coattails. Well, Bartimaeus threw aside his coat. He jumped up and he came to Jesus. He laid that coat down. And as we're wrapping up, I I want us to know a couple things about the value of the coat that Bartimaeus had. It It wasn't like he had a closet full of coats to pick from. Right? Not like you and me. My brother was making fun of me. I guess I wear a lot of coats, I guess, you know, in the winter. I like layers. So he's like, you know, you're always wearing a coat when you preach. It wasn't like Bartimaeus had a coat or that he could just go out and buy another one. See, there weren't social services uh, in Israel during this time. There weren't, uh, you know, association for the blind and, and all that kind of stuff. And so what they would do is they would actually issue beggars a coat, a coat that would authorize them as a beggar. When someone had this coat, you could look at them and, and trust and believe that they were in the position of need and not a con artist, you know, begging and panhandling on the streets. They would, this coat was an identity to Bartimaeus. That this is who you are. This is your authorization to ask people to help support you through their generosity. It, it was his survival. It was his identity. It was his survival. This was his financial security. Like I said, there was no social services. There was no, nothing to support him other than his livelihood of being able to ask for the generosity of others. It was his comfort. would keep the sun off of him in the day and the, the cold off of him at night. And yet, he threw it down to follow Jesus. Instead of grasping at prominence or position or power, he opened his hands and he let it all go at the feet of Jesus. Verse 51, Jesus asked him the same question that he'd asked his closest friends a few verses before. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. 
Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. For the next 18 miles, I think Bartimaeus, who had already thrown his coat down, he had already opened his hands to Jesus and surrendered his whole life. I think he praised God and he cheered him on and said, blessed is the Son of God, Hosanna. God, you've come to save us. And he cheered and he cried and he led the celebration. I want to ask us this morning, are we picking up what Jesus is laying down? He was trying so hard to dispel the fuzziness for his followers. He was trying to bring clarity to them. And he, he would say, instead of being seen, would we ask Jesus to help us see? Instead of granting us a position, would we say, Jesus, will you change my person? Make me whole. Make me more like you. Jesus, when I follow you, I want to help others follow you too. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must first give up. Would you say it with me? Can you say give up? Give up your way. Take up your cross. I'm going to say, take up and follow me. If you would stand with me this morning, I'm going to invite you to, to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to pray for us today. Jesus, I just pray right now on this Palm Sunday, we're celebrating your triumphal entry into Jerusalem. God, we know what lies ahead. You were clear even then about what laid in front of you. But today, Lord Jesus, we know we know what you endured. We know what you went through. God, we know, Lord, over this next week, I pray that our hearts would be filled with awe and wonder. Would you give us that sense of awareness of how deep our sin is and what we're capable of, God, as we, as we look at what humanity did to you and what it cost you and what you laid down your life for, I pray, Lord, that we would be filled with appreciation and that we would look at our own lives and we would say, Jesus, what in my life has cost you yours? And I repent of those things, Jesus. And I know, God, there's victory on the other end. Next weekend, we're going to celebrate your victory and your power and your provision at work in our lives. But I pray that this week, Lord, we would be filled with gratitude and humility. And God, you would help us to see. God, we don't want to be seen. God, we don't need prominence or position. God, we need to see. We need to see you for who you are and to see the people that you love around us. God, so that we can invite them to follow you the way that we're following you. Help us to stay close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's Palm Sunday. Do you got a